Well, the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be uh, this evening. <clears throat> we'll be in a few other places as well. Uh, hopefully you can follow uh, where we're going. But in Matthew chapter 6, we find uh, the Lord's Prayer, and today we're just going to look at one line in one verse of what Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray. And that one line is found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, and that line is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think the number one comment I've received from people regarding the Lord's Prayer, uh, as we've been looking through it, is the fact that it's amazing at how much is in each of these petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And I join you in being amazed myself at how much there is to find in each of these petitions within the Lord's Prayer. But that's one of the wonders of God's word, isn't it? The richness of each line of God's word uh, can teach us so much. And tonight is no different because we're going to look at the phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, actually over two weeks. So we're going to look at one part of God's will this week and we're going to look at the second part of this petition next week. So this petition is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But first of all, I think it would be good to have a definition of what God's will is. Sometimes we can be confused over the phrase of God's will. So here is my uh, definition of what the will of God is. Hopefully it helps us to understand. The will of God is what God has purposed to do himself or what he has commanded to be done by us. The will of God is is what God has purposed to do himself or what he has commanded to be done by us. Now this definition is split into two uh, different parts. The first part is the will of God is what God has purposed to do himself. We'll call this God's secret will, his secret will or his sovereign will. It's the part of the will of God that we don't really know about. We don't really understand why God is doing what he is doing. But God has purpose to do that. It's his secret will. But then the second part, which we'll look at next week, is God's revealed will, what he has commanded to be done by us. And as a very, very short summary, we find that in the Bible. But we'll look at that and unravel that more next week. And these things come together well in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So the secret things, God's secret will, belongs to the Lord our God, but the things revealed his law, his, his word, belong to us and our children, that we may follow them. And when we pray God's will, that it's done in earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for both aspects of, these, of his will. Because in heaven, both aspects of God's will is done perfectly. In heaven, everybody obeys the word of God perfectly. And from heaven... Where God dwells, his secret will, his purposes are planned and fulfilled 
and meted out. So this week we'll look at the secret will, and next week, Lord willing, if God wills it, we'll look at his revealed will. So first of all, what is his secret will? How do we, how do we pray for God's will to be done in earth as it is in heaven with his secret will, with his sovereign will? Well, we do that by surrendering to his plans. So his secret will is God's sovereign plans. It's how God is in complete control over everything. And how God is bringing everything together for his glorious purposes. And it's secret because we do not know it. We cannot know the future. We don't know what God is going to do tomorrow, even in the next hour. If God has his secret plans that we do not even know. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 24 says, and this is in the midst of a passage where God is, going to, is saying he's going to judge the nations, he's going to judge Israel. It says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. So God says, as I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. God is in absolute control over all things. Everything happens according to his sovereign will. Nothing happens that God is scratching his head about, wondering why this has happened. Everything, everything is planned according to his perfect will. And before we look at how we pray this, I want us to have a sense of the greatness of God. And when I say a sense, it's just a small sense, because when we think of the sovereign uh, knowledge, sovereign will and plans and purposes of God, these things are truly mind-blowing. They are mind-blowing. They are beyond what our minds can contain. Even as I've been meditating on this, the smallest part of this amazing sovereign will of God just blows your mind. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul describes God as one who works out everything in conformity with his, the purpose of his will. Let me read that again. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's talking in the context of the passage about salvation, which we'll uh, talk about later, but it, it encompasses everything. Everything. Everything works in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, I want, I want us to think about this for a moment. Let's park in Ephesians 1 verse 11, that everything is working in conformity with the purpose of his will. I, just wanna, you, you, I want you to enter into my meditations on this, because I was so excited about this, about, about the, the, just the greatness of God, I, I just I have to share this with you. I was thinking about my own life, for me. I'll start there and we'll go out. But for me, as an individual person, God knows and is in control of everything that has happened in my life. He's in control of everything that is happening right now in my life, and he's in control of everything that will happen in my life. And he's also in control and is aware of everything that could have happened in my life, and what would have happened if something else did happen but didn't happen, because it wouldn't conform to the purposes of his will. 
Now, is your mind blown? Well, let's go further. That's just me. Look around the room. He's in control of everything that is happening, has happened and will happen, and could have happened and would have happened for every person in this room. But then let's go further. Every person on the face of this planet, he knows everything that's happened, everything that is happening, everything that will happen. Everything that could have happened and would have happened is something else that happened but didn't happen. But not only that, that's the same for everyone who has ever existed and everyone that will ever exist. But there's more. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the earth, for they do not sow or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Our God feeds the birds. So, not only does God know everything and it, that is happening and has happened and will happen and could happen and would happen for every person who lives on this planet, but he feeds every single bird that has ever existed that does exist and never will exist. He knows and is in control of every flap of their wings, every tweet that they make, everything that every bird has ever done, but not just the birds. God is in control of every animal that's ever existed. But we can even go deeper than that, and this is the deepest we'll go. I think our minds are blown, but I was enjoying myself as I was thinking about this, but every atom, every single microscopic thing is held together. Hebrews 1 tells us it's held together by the word of his power. Everything, every atom is working together in conformity to the will of God for his purposes. Everything. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? But we need to have that, that view of God in order to pray, thy will be done. Don Carson summed it up well in his book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. He says, sometimes... I don't always want to correct him, but I think I would say all times it is better to worship such a God than to understand him. Sometimes it is better to worship such a God than to try to understand him. God is, is so far beyond what we could ever comprehend. He's in control of everything, everything. Well, the question you may be asking or may be burning in your minds in regard to prayer, is if God is in that much control of everything, then why pray anyway? Surely, why are we praying, thy will be done, if God is in control of everything? Well, there's a mystery within this. There's a mystery, but not a contradiction. And the mystery is this, that yes, God is in absolute control over everything. As we have described, as we have thought about but alongside this, the scriptures tell us that as mankind, we are responsible for our actions. And those two things aren't in conflict, they're just two truths that are perhaps mysterious. And when people depart from either one of those truths, that God is in absolute sovereign control, and that people are absolutely responsible for their actions, you depart from those truths, you get at best error and at worst heresy. Both things are true. Both are true. And in the terms of the sovereign will of God, he has ordained that prayer will accomplish his sovereign purposes. God has ordained that prayer will accomplish his sovereign purposes. So should I pray? Yes. Because my prayers 
are part of God's plans to work out his will. So God answers my prayers. God answers our prayers. So praying is never in vain. We have no excuse for not praying. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. We're told to pray. We're responsible to pray. But over, over all of that, God is in absolute sovereign control. Do I understand this fully? No. But I worship such a God. Also, prayer aligns our will with God's sovereign will. Because as we'll see, our will and God's will is not always the same. Prayer gives us strength to do God's will when we feel like we can't carry on following him. This awesome picture of God working out his purposes and this awesome picture of the the wonder of who God is helps us to pray, thy will be done. Here's how. I was thinking of how to illustrate uh, this particular petition and one thing that I, I, I read was about the aeroplane. When you go in an aeroplane, you go up, and when you're, uh, after you finish flying and you come down, I always like to look uh, down, uh, because usually I'm flying to a foreign country, and I like to look at the cars driving on the wrong side of the road. And I look down, and all the cars are really small. And I can see from my aeroplane, not from my aeroplane, but from the aeroplane, that one end of the road to the other end of the road and all the little cars travelling I can see the beginning and the end of where they're going in their car but the people in the car can only see what's directly in front of them so there may be a car that's stuck behind another car there may be a car down the road that has an accident there may be all sorts of things going on that I can see from the aeroplane but I couldn't see if I'm driving the car God sees from heaven He sees everything. He sees the beginning and he sees the end and he sees everything in between and he knows the best way to get us from one place to the end, which the end is heaven, isn't it? We only see, like the drivers in the car, what's directly in front of us. But God has a plan, a sovereign plan that's conforming to his will that sees all of it. And he's getting us to our destination, the best way that we can get there. Sometimes, imagine if I'm driving my car, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but when, we, when I'm driving my car and I'm stuck behind somebody, I'm frustrated. Why are they so slow? But who knows what's down the road? If, well, if there's you know, a corner, and if I was going too fast around that corner, I would bang into the thing that's around the corner. Who knows? I don't know. What, what, I don't know. But what I do know is that God is in absolute control. He sees what I don't see. And that's really important because when we pray in surrender to your will be done, we need to understand the greatness of God and how he views from heaven. He is in heaven and we are on earth. We uh, saw on the Twitter feed for our church this week something John Piper said. God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you probably know about three of them. God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you probably know about three of them. 
So this is a prayer of surrender. So let's look at how we pray, thy will be done. And I want us to, as we look at each thing, there's four areas that we're going to just examine. And as we do so, I want us to keep in our minds this great view of God. If we lose that great view of God, the surrender is impossible. We need to see how great God is. So the first, uh, the, the first and by the way, before I say these things, that this prayer is not for the faint-hearted. This is tough prayer. It's easy to pray thy will be done until it clashes with our will, isn't it? This is hard prayer. But we've got to pray this. We've got to surrender to God's will. So firstly, we, we pray this in light affliction. When I talk about light affliction, what I mean is not things that completely, completely shatter our lives. Not life-shattering events, but things that make us angry. So I said about driving. In the summertime, we went on holiday up to Scotland. And on the way, on the Sunday, we went to uh, Ingleton Evangelical Church. And the pastor there preached a really excellent sermon uh, from uh, Judges chapter 14, talking about Samson. And uh, he, he talked about how Samson uh, married a uh, Philistine, but in Judges chapter 14, verse 4, it says that God had planned this in order that he could defeat the Philistines. And in the sermon, he mentioned, well, it was a sin to, to marry the Philistines, but, but God had planned it so that he could defeat the Philistines. And we were, you know, thinking about this. And as we were driving up, it was a long journey to Scotland. So if you've got a long journey, the sovereignty of God is a really good thing to talk about because you've got a long way to go. And we started talking and we were saying, wow, how how powerful God is and how God is in such control of everything. And I said to Paula, um, even if, you know, even if we take a wrong turning... God is in absolute control of that. So we shouldn't get angry or frustrated when we take a wrong turning. We should say, you know, your will be done. God is in control. 110 miles later, I realized I'd taken a wrong turning. It was a real test of, of this, you know. But it's not a life-shattering event, but it was, just, it was frustrating. We nearly missed the ferry and everything. But we get angry over such small afflictions, don't we? When we stub our toe, when we're stuck in traffic, when we spill breakfast down our top, when we're stuck next to someone smelly on the bus, God's in control of those things too. (laughs) Did you know, I was thinking about this, Murphy's law is God's will. (laughs) It's actually God conforming all things for for the purpose of his will. And we need to stop and think, don't we, when we have anger problems over such small things, we need to stop and say, thy will be done. That God is in control, even over those small things. But light affliction is not life-shattering, but some things are. And we'll spend most of our time on this particular point, because we have to pray, your will be done, in suffering and sin. And this is where, as we, if you go through the prayer diary, many of you are... At this moment, there is much suffering within our fellowship, much sickness, there's been grieving, there's family struggles. This is where we are. And this isn't a prayer for the faint-hearted. This isn't an easy thing to say in immense suffering, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
But throughout, we need to keep this bird's eye view that God has, don't we? We need to keep remembering where God is. He's not only seeing what's in front of us. He's seeing the whole thing. We need to keep remembering this. But I want to say some important things to remember about God's will in suffering. First of all, God does not always delight in what he decrees. God does not always delight in what he decrees. So Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 32 says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. I take no pleasure in the death of anybody. God does not take any pleasure in any suffering, even though it's working to conform to his will. God does not, he's not up there taking some kind of glee in our suffering. Secondly, the world we live in is fallen as a result of the judgment of sin and and suffering is part of the fallenness of our world. God allows suffering. God works suffering for greater good. But suffering is a result of sin in a fallen world. When God made the world, it wasn't there. When God will make a new heavens and a new earth, it won't be there. We're in the fallen world right now but and god allows sin as part of that uh, and suffering as that part of that judgment and the final thing to remember when we're thinking about god in our suffering is this god has joined our suffering god is not distant and absent in our suffering god has joined our suffering and we looked at that in mark chapter 14 so turn there i want to mention a few things from mark chapter 14 so this is the place uh, where you should turn. Mark chapter 14, which was, we, we read this in the Bible reading. Jesus is in uh, Gethsemane. And we said this is, the, this is the Lord's Prayer within the Lord's Prayer. He prays this that we're talking about here tonight. Uh, Gethsemane is the garden where Jesus goes to pray before he's arrested. And it was a garden that his disciples and him had often frequented. And the name uh, means oil press. Gethsemane is oil press. And it was the father's purpose there to press the sun. And there's, there's deep mysteries here that we'll never fully understand. But here we see Jesus suffering and praying, thy will be done. So he knows he's going to be pressed. He knows he's about to bear the sin of the world. He knows he's about to bear the wrath of God. Jesus is God. He is holy. He hates sin. He knows, he knows what God's wrath is. He's not facing something he doesn't understand. He knows what God's wrath is. This is suffering here, the likes of which we will never fully know. You know, we can try to understand the thoughts of, of being sinned against. We can try to understand how the disciples abandoned him in his time of need. We can try to understand betrayal. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Or the cowardice of Peter. Or the malice of, of the priests. The fickleness of the crowd. The injustice of Pilate. The mockery of the soldiers. The pain of the, the crucifixion. But, but in addition to all of that... Jesus was facing more. He was bearing the sin of the world upon himself. 
He would experience something that has never happened to him before. He was going to be forsaken by his father. So when Mark says that he was uh, deeply distressed, it can be also, another word could be amazed or uh, astonished. Because this is something that's never happened before. Every sin that you and I have ever committed or will ever commit was bearing down on Jesus. All the guilt that you felt, all the shame that you felt was bearing down on Jesus. And he was going to be forsaken by the Father. Something of unimaginable emotional and spiritual pain for Jesus. Nobody has suffered like this. And what does he do? Well, in verse 32, he says, Sit here while I pray. He prays. Here in his agony, he prays. His pain is described in verse 34, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The emotional and the spiritual pain was, was literally here killing him at this point. So what does he pray? Abba Father, he said, in verse 36, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Notice the four parts of this prayer in the garden. First of all, in this agony, in this suffering, he says, Abba Father. We looked at this in the first sermon, didn't we? In the first part of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven. We talked about the personal Father that God is to his people. So he calls out to his, his Father, his, his, his loving Father, who he has access to and intimacy with. And then he says, everything is possible for you. Our Father which art in heaven. He's the God who is in heaven. He can do anything. There's nothing he can't do. He can take the suffering away. He's able to, to bring healing. He's able to provide There's nothing that God cannot do. So what does Jesus ask his father who can do anything? He said, take this cup from me. It's amazing when you think about this, isn't it? Jesus asks the father to take the cup from him. Now the cup is a metaphor for the wrath of God. The cup is used often. People have to drink of the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus is asking that God takes the wrath from him, to take it from him, if it's possible, if it's possible. But there wasn't. It wasn't possible. There was no other way for us to have our sins atoned for. But we learn in this, in our suffering, as we pray, your will be done, we don't meekly, meekly just fall down and say, oh, well, whatever. No, no, Jesus here, he's praying to take this away. And that's okay. We don't have to pretend. Christians sometimes pretend that suffering, we have to put on a smiley face and everything's okay. That's not okay. Jesus didn't here. He said, Father, would you take this away? And we can pray that too. And sometimes it's not possible. For Jesus, it wasn't possible. But he says then at the end there, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here it is. Thy will be done. Surrender. There's submission 
to the sovereign God. And we must submit to the fact that God may want us to go through this pain for his perfect sovereign purposes that we do not understand. Because we are not in heaven. We do not have that bird's eye view. When we ask God to take it away, we don't ask it in anger, but in in submission. On the understanding that his will is superior to our will. And Jesus had to go through this for our salvation. He had to go through it. And who knows why God is allowing you to go through what you are going through. Who knows why except the God who sees everything and is conforming everything to his purposes. So in your suffering and pain, we need to be praying. We need to pray. Pray to the Father who loves you and from whom everything is possible. Luke's account tells us that when Jesus prayed this, God sent an angel to comfort him. God may not take the suffering away, but he does send the comfort we need as we pray. Just another word on this, as a fellowship of God's people, God, you know, he doesn't often send angels to each other as we suffer, but he does send one another. And often the phrase that God is sovereign can be so flippantly used and insensitively used. I have a friend uh, who I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago in the church I was preaching at, and his son has turned his back on God, and he's walking away from God. And he was angry because somebody had come and says, well, you know, God's sovereign. That's, it's wrong. God is sovereign, but that's not the response. Look at uh, John chapter 11. T- turn to John chapter 11. I want us to see how we can help each other pray this prayer. Uh, John chapter 11 and verse uh, 33. Just in context, Jesus is going to Bethany where Lazarus has just died. Jesus is God. He is the sovereign God. He's in control of all things. At this point in the story, we, we know the end. Lazarus is risen from the dead. At this point in the story, Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't something Jesus just figured out, oh, I might as well raise him now. Jesus knew the whole way exactly what he was going to do. So he knew the end as as the sovereign God. But look what he does with those who are suffering in John chapter 11. So verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In those words, in verse 33, there's words of anger there. It's not just, um, troubled isn't puzzled here. He's angry. There's anger at the intrusion of death into his world that he created. And then it goes on. Where have you laid him, he he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then, verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So he has these, the anger, the, 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 the distress and the trouble, and then Jesus weeps with those who are weeping. You know, as we pray to God and as we suffer and we pray, thy will be done, God doesn't just tell us, I'm sovereign, stop worrying about it. He weeps with us. 
And let's be imitators of Christ here. When we go, let's comfort one another, but let us not give, you know, loads of theology that is cold. Let's weep with those that weep. Let's pray with people. Let's comfort one another. Because, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, we surrender to him. We remember who he is. But it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. We need to weep with those that weep. As Jesus did. We need to listen sympathetically. We need to be okay when people are angry at sin. And angry at the impact of sin in the world. That's normal. And I've shared this uh, passage with some of you recently. That it's okay to weep. It's okay to be upset. It's okay. Because it's what Jesus went through. And Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew the end. The prayer of submission, thy will be done, is often baptized in tears. The prayer of submission, thy will be done, is often baptized in tears. And some of us, even this evening, need to say in submission to God, but through tears, thy will be done. And to trust God with it. And we pray this, that God would bend us to his will and that we would trust who he is in our suffering. I said this isn't a prayer for the faint-hearted. It's not. This is tough praying. But it's the prayer of surrender. Thy will be done. We looked in the summer on one Sunday morning at Job 23.10. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows the way that we take. And in the end, we shall come forth as gold. But we've got to trust him, haven't we? We've got to trust him. But what about sin? Sin is linked to suffering through the fact that we, uh, we live in the fallen world and it's fallen because Adam and Eve sinned. What do we say about this? Does, does God plan our sin and therefore it's not really our fault? Well, no. God's secret will of being completely sovereign does not excuse our sin. We talked about the fact that we're responsible for our sin. Uh, there's a few places we could go, but I'm just going to do one uh, verse. Uh, you, most of you, I'm sure, know the story of Joseph. Joseph had brothers that hated him. Uh, Joseph was one of the 12 children of Jacob that made up the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, into Egypt, because they hated him. They hated the fact that he was his father's favorite. And as he was in Egypt, he was, uh, the, cap- he was uh, the, the head of the house of uh, the man Potiphar, but was falsely accused of uh, trying to sleep with his Potiphar's wife and was thrown in jail. But then he had his dreams that he could interpret, dr- he could interpret dreams. And he ended up uh, becoming uh, the prime minister of Egypt. And through the years of famine, uh, through the years of plenty, he saved up food so that in the years of famine, the people of Egypt and the children of God could be saved through the famine. It was so God could preserve his people. And at the end of of uh, Jacob's life, when the father died, the brothers were really worried. Oh no, uh, Joseph's going to kill us. But this is what he says in Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph said, 
you to the brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The brothers had intended to harm him. They were responsible for their sin, but God accomplished his plans through it. How all this works is a mystery. We will never fully understand it, but the Bible makes it clear. We are responsible to obey what the Bible tells us to do. But when we mess up, we can't blame God for sin, but we praise him that God, even then, is conforming everything to his perfect plan and will. So we pray in light affliction. We pray in suffering. Thirdly, uh, we pray in salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And we looked at the end of verse 11, but the beginning says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God has his people chosen before the foundation of the world. He is sovereign over people coming to believe in him. So we pray for, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we pray that the lost would become the found. We pray that people would be added to his kingdom. Who those people are is God's will. So thy will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for people to be saved. God saves people. In answer to that prayer, who he saves is according to his will. And we need to pray and surrender to that. Because if I didn't, when I pray your kingdom come, I have my people who I want in his kingdom all picked out. They're nice and easy to share the gospel with. But when we pray your will be done, we go to whom God sends us. It's amazing how you find that God does seem to choose those who we are praying for. So let's be praying that God's kingdom comes. Uh, Fourthly, decision-making. Sometimes when we are thinking about God's will, we think only in these terms. God's will is much bigger than this, but we think, well, God, what is your will? How can I make a decision? Perhaps getting married, taking a job, purchasing an item. Sometimes when we pray this, the answer isn't actually very secret at all. If it's a sin, the answer is no. (laughs) That is the will of God. And we'll look at that next week as we look at the revealed will. But as we pray for guidance and ask God, what he wants us to do, we seriously need to pray, your will be done. But outside of sin or causing others to sin, the Bible isn't always that clear on exactly what it is we should do. But God does, as we pray, often give us a very definite peace or not peace about a situation. God does give us a church with Christians to ask advice to. And we should listen to what Christians are saying. We should be sharing together and praying for one another. God does close and open doors. But if we pray that that your will be done and we surrender, we will be willing to go where God does lead us. Sometimes when we pray your will be done, we can sinfully ask God to change his will to what we want because we don't like the decisions that we have to make. We need to be wary of that and surrender to God's will. One piece of really good advice someone told me as a teenager, and I shared this with our teenagers, I think, fairly often. If we want to know what God's will is for tomorrow, let's do God's will.
today. What is God's will today? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow the words of this law. And we will look at that part next week. In terms of practical application, I didn't want to list off lots of things we can do this week because I think in light of the suffering that many are going through, I think the best thing we can do is let's pray for one another. Perhaps after the service, after we've sung, pray with the person next to you. Perhaps just, yeah, let's, let's, let's be a house of prayer and care for one another. Let's weep with those that weep. Let's listen with sympathetic ears. Let's pray for one another. Let's love one another. And let's trust our amazing God who sees the beginning and end of all things. And let's pray, even through tears, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray before we close in song. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, this prayer of surrender is so very hard for us to pray. We thank you that Jesus has gone before us And he has prayed this. We thank you that he surrendered and was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. We thank you that even when we don't understand the mysteries of your will, we know that all things work together for the good to those who are the called according to your purposes. We thank you, our Father, that we can trust you, that you are that awesome God that we read of in your word. Help us to love one another, and in the midst of our suffering, not take your sovereignty lightly, but as Jesus did, weep with those that weep. But in the midst of our struggles, Father, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. And our next two uh, songs, first of all, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd. In the chorus we sing, I will trust.